Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe, the French Catholic Cafe here in Lourdes, France. Robert, how are you how are you doing? Doing well, Deacon. Doing well. Well, we have another exciting show planned here uh, in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. And as Robert just mentioned, I am Deacon Jeff. And uh, we're going to talk to two fantastic folks here that are representing a, an organization called Malteser International. That's right. Something that probably most Americans have uh, need to learn a little bit more about. That's exactly. Well, that's why we have these folks here. We have Ingo Retke, who's the... Uh, Secretary General of Malteser International, and he's brought along Joyce Biazotto, and she's in communications there at Malteser International. Welcome, by the way, to the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Yeah, thank you. Glad now, to be here. Now, uh, you sound American. Uh, Inga, where are you from? I'm from uh, Cologne, Germany. Okay. Well, very good. Well, you know what we're going to start with? We're gonna, what is Malteser? This is a word that people don't necessarily understand, but what is Malteser International? What do you guys do? Well, Montez International is the international relief uh, organization of the Order of Malta. And uh, the name Malteser is uh, certainly sounding a little bit uh, unfamiliar for, for English-speaking people. It um, comes up from uh, the German Malteser Hilfsdienst, which is this German relief service of the Order of Malta, uh, because the, the service initially was a department of the, only of the German service. So it's and part of the German Order of Malta? Uh, it's part of the German Order of Malta, and when we became international, uh, we just kept that name because the name as such in the humanitarian environment was very well known. And everyone, uh, the different UN bodies, uh, knew the organization Malteser, and if we would have changed that, it's like changing a brand which is already well established. I see. And that was the reason. Well, now we know that, that the Order of Malta is involved in... Uh, one of its major charisms or, or missions is to, uh, you know, to, to help the sick and the poor. And does Malteser International fall in that vein of what the, what the order is all about? Absolutely. If you look in the constitution of the order, sometimes it's good to have a look at that. Then you find that one of the major tasks of the order of Malta is to take care for the victims of disasters and especially also for the victim of man-made disasters called quas. Uh, and this is exactly our mission. So we are very much uh, working with people after natural disasters such like tsunami, as we had the, the cyclone Nargis in Burma in 2008, or we were in the Kosovo crisis, we were working um, in the, after the Pakistan earthquake, now in Haiti. Uh, all these victims are the people that we take care for and on behalf in the name of the order. Hence the name International, as in Malteser exactly. International. You truly are uh, basically traveling the globe, helping where it's needed most. And we see on the news all the time, wherever we are, in whatever country, wherever we're watching, you see that destruction, that devastation. You see the level of human suffering. And so here's Malteser International out there sort of getting their hands dirty. Right, and sort of helping, uh, helping the folks at that local level. Yes, exactly. Where there is no association of the Order of Malta and where there is a big disaster, then the Order sends Malteser International 
in order to help the people on the ground. Could you tell us what do you do? I don't have a sense of is this a big organization? I mean, like how how would y'all help? Like in Haiti, what what did y'all do? What we usually do is uh, after such a disaster, we either we are already on the ground. That's the best situation to help the people. Uh, if not, then we are sending people within a very short time. Not to, too many people. What kind of people? Medi- medical? Or medical, or? especially medical. The Order of Malta has a very uh, tough medical and social uh, concern. So we, we usually send doctors and nurses. Uh, and we send logisticians and general managers. Because then we integrate the system... Uh, that we have into the system on the spot trying to help the people well coordinated with other organizations but focusing especially on our core competences which we can help people especially in the medical aspect and after the, the first time after a disaster so when you come to recovery then we concentrate more on recovery of the medical system and on social systems just to give you an example HIV-AIDS is a problem. It's a medical problem, certainly. But it's not only a medical problem. If especially the productive people are killed by HIV-AIDS, people who are taking care for the elderly right. in the family or for children, if these people die, then there still is the gap that has to be filled because somebody has to take care for the children or for the elderly to feed them to find them an environment where they can right. survive. So give some examples of how you would you would work in that environment. I mean, would you, do you are you working in schools? Are you taking care of the kids? Are you, you offering food? How does that work? Yes, that depends on the situation on the ground. HIV AIDS, for example, you find it in Africa. And if you have a system where the parents are dead, then you have to convince neighbors or relatives to take over the children. Then you have to, have to give them a the means for that. You cannot only ask, hey, take care of the additional children. You have to help these people to stand that additional burden. And this is a project. You can do this by the way, and by giving this family who had no job, who was just living from what they found. How, how many uh, people and how much money, how big of an organization are we talking about? Like do- dollar-wise and people-wise? Are we, are we talking about a million dollars a year, $10 million a year? Well, I can give you the figures of 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, the overall budget that we were working with was a little bit more than $46 million U.S. dollars. Wow. And we have about um, 1,100 people were employed staff. Most of these people, by the way, are local staff. 1,100 employees. Yes. Most of them are local staff. So if we work in Afghanistan or if we work in Iraq or we work in Burma and in Cambodia, then most of our Malteser people are Cambodian or Burmese. Or so African. you hire the local people then? Yes, we have to. They speak the local language. They know best what to do. And as we do not look to help only Catholics or Christians, we look, we help people regardless, race or religion, all that, and we have to have the local people. If I may add something, I think it's also very important that our 
that our health is sustainable in the long run. So we don't want to stay somewhere forever. When we go in, we help the people in a case of emergency, and we help them at a vulnerable time, but we want to make sure that in the long run, they can take over these services that we provide and that they're able to work within their system with their governments. So it's important for us to work with locals because we want to make sure that um, they are able to build up their own structures, that they are trained, educated, and that, uh, you know, that they adapt these solutions to their own local realities and make it sustainable in the long run by integrating it into their uh, local structures in, and governments. And jo- Joyce, how would that be different than, say, the, the Red Cross or Catholic Charities or other inc- – is there a unique aspect with the Order of Malta's Malteser International – well, we work uh, sometimes together with um, other Catholic organizations, and, you know, they're also val- valuable partners. Um, a unique aspect of our work is that we try to integrate a lot of uh, different aspects into our help, and we try to be to – Holistic, I guess. Yes, we have a holistic approach. I mean, so we uh, – besides working with our focus in health, we also work uh, – we uh, work on water projects. We work on disaster risk reduction, so it's important to – uh, work on preventing uh, big disasters, so uh, not making sure that the next earthquake is not as devastating as, as the previous one. So building up structures before uh, something bad happens. So we also try to build a bridge in between emergency relief, so right after disaster strikes, and um, development in terms of economic development so to make sure that a, a country uh, can develop in the long run. And you've asked, what is the complementary service between, for example, Catholic Relief Services or the Catholic Services and Malteser International? Let me give you a very easy example. In 2008, when the Cyclone Nargis hit Burma, there was a big discussion who could help from the, also from the Catholic side. And it was clear from the very beginning um, that the the CRS, like all the other Caritas services of the Catholic Church, had a terrible problem to work in Burma because they, the Caritas of Burma was under the supervision of the government of Burma and was not allowed to work. Malteser International was the only Catholic organization which was already present in that country for more than seven years. And so the whole Catholic help was channeled through Caritas on Malteser International, and we were the executing part of the Catholic Church. In perfect cooperation with our friends from Caritas, we had a Caritas liaison officer in our office in Rangoon, and certainly we both brought up both flags because Caritas... And which Caritas thing? That's like a typical Catholic relief service? Caritas is the overall uh, service where CRS is a part of. Okay. Caritas International is Rome. And CRS is a big part of that, an important part of that, and Caritas Germany, and Caritas Italy. But all those Catholic releases had to go through the order of Malteser International. They, they have asked Because us. you were already there, yes. and you already had that presence, and you, they, the, the Burmese government trusted you. They yes. knew who you were. We were in the, just in the right distance to the government, not too close and not too far. And they knew that we were reliable, and we were working with Burmese people. So we didn't have to send expatriates there. We could work there because Burmese people are not limited in their movement in the country. What did you do with the typhoon? What was, what was the kind of relief that was needed when a typhoon, the typhoon hit Burma? When the typhoon hit Burma, the big problem was the water. 
It was not like a tsunami wave, so it was not a wave which was clashing on the people. It was simply that in a very flat area, the water was rising for three to four meters and people were drowning. So the first thing was uh, to bring health to the people. The water was, or the, the fountain, the drinking, water. the drinking water was dirty, so we had to produce drinking water. The next thing is you have to get rid of all the dead bodies because they are. Were, um, right, it's a, causing uh, disease it's and causing and diseases. These are the natural complications yes. to a national tragedy like next that. Next thing was to bring food in. The th- Afterwards, you have to find out that after such a flooding, you have the problem of mosquitoes. You have the problem we have of that in Memphis. Respiratory, yeah. <laughs> respiratory uh, diseases. People are coughing, uh, asthma, and all that. So they need medical services, and many of the medics were dead. Yeah. So we brought medical services in. We brought drugs in. Then we built, in the next phase, we rebuilt the medical centers. We equipped them again. That helped the people. And then we were concentrating on the so-called water sanitation and hygiene, which means bringing safe resources to produce drinking water, looking for latrines, the water Bathrooms, keeps clean, toilets, in order to keep diseases away. And you teach the people that hand-washing, for example, helps to save lives. So this is obviously very multifaceted, but what I love is the fact that you went into a culture not trying to change that culture, not trying to change the people. You you went in there with with respect to their culture, who they were, their identity, and wanted to offer them aid. And, and as you said, Joyce, not to be their uh, their savior and create some kind of dependence on now this aid, but to, to make them self-sufficient, self-sustaining, to get them over the hump to allow them a new lease on life, as it were. There is one sentence saying, if you are in Rome, do as the Romans do. Yeah. So we have to, to respect the culture. We are guests. When we come to a country to help the people, we have to ask the people whether they allow us to help them because they may be victims of a disaster. Nevertheless, the last thing that we can take away from them is their dignity, and this is what we never should do. Very good. We have much more we want to talk about with the uh, Malteser International Organization, and we'll do that right after we do a little break here. Before we do that, I want to remind everyone at home about our website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And so with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. The heresy of iconoclasm came to the forefront in the early 8th century and lasted well into the 9th century. The iconoclast, whose name means image breakers, rejected the use of images of God or humans, but especially those of Christ, Mary, the saints, and holy events. These images had become commonplace in churches and homes throughout the Universal Church over the centuries, with paintings, drawings, sculptures, and other images dating to the earliest days of the Christian Church. The iconoclast felt that to venerate these images was tantamount to idolatry, and their influence was causing a rift within the Church. A council was called in the late 8th century, which addressed the issues of icons and sacred images in particular, but in a more general sense, the very nature of the worship of God. The Second Council of Nicaea in 787 AD 
was the seventh ecumenical council of the church and spoke with the full weight of the magisterium, the teaching authority of the Roman Catholic Church. There was much discussion and prayer by the bishops attending the universal gathering. They took into account not only the promptings of the Holy Spirit, but also the works of many great Catholic theologians of the day. The writings of St. John of Damascus are said to have had a profound influence on the Council Fathers. About the subject of sacred art, he said, If a pagan asks you to show him your faith, take him into a church and place him before the icons. The Second Council of Nicaea dogmatically decreed that the Church's inspired tradition of the veneration of sacred images be upheld. The Council proclaimed, We define that the holy icons, whether in color, mosaic, or some other material, should be exhibited in the holy churches of God, on the sacred vessels and liturgical vestments, on the walls, furnishings, and in the houses along the roads, namely the icons of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, that of Our Lady Theotokos, those of the venerated angels, and those of all the saintly people. Whenever these representations are contemplated, they will cause those who look at them to commemorate and love their prototype. Still today, the Catholic Church continues the centuries-old tradition of the use and benefit of sacred images of all kinds. The dogmatic decrees of the Second Council of Nicaea and many subsequent ecumenical councils to follow on the proper veneration of these images served as a spiritual anchor of inspiration to sacred tradition and the divine revelation of God. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe here in the French Catholic Cafe. And we're talking to Ingo and Joyce, both from Malteser International. What are some other places? I know that we've, we've heard in the news about several places, the earthquakes in Japan. We've heard about Haiti. Where, what's going on in some of those places? Well, we were active in, in Haiti after the, um, the earthquake. Uh, I believe we got in there in the two or three days right after the earthquake. And uh, it was a huge challenge because you have to organize logistically how you're going to first get into a country where most people have lost their homes. They don't have a place to sleep. They don't have a, It's hard to organize food. It's hard to organize everything. So you go into a very chaotic situation. I remember seeing images of women walking around crying because they didn't know where their kids were. They didn't know where their husband was and just total disarray. The problem after the earthquake is once you have the people who are still alive under under the rubble, under the rest of the the villages, you have people who are heavily injured. You have people who have lost something, who are living the the fear of having lost people if they don't know it yet. And some who know that their relatives are dead. So you have a variety of traumata with which you're working. And you have the real logistic problems of drinking water, of food, as uh, Joyce already said, and you have to deal with all these various problems in a, an environment where people are still dying. Uh, and my people who were down there, for example, they reported every night. And they said the biggest problem for them was the night when they heard people crying and they couldn't find them. The next night, there were still people crying, but there were less people crying, which meant... Some had died. Some had died. And then you don't hear anybody 
and you know you didn't find people, and you know that people were dying inside you, and you couldn't help them. But you know, Inga, one thing, uh, my friend Jeff Gamble, a night of Malta, was involved in that. And he said that the uh, Malteser and the Order of Malta were the first people in Haiti, before the United States, that um, we were able to bring medical relief in immediately because, uh, it is my understanding, he was like in a tent on the ground in Haiti within 72 hours. But you only can look at the spot where you are. And uh, we are an organization where we cannot save the world. We only can work on a slow, small spot. It needs other organizations. And what we are doing is when we enter a country like Haiti, we didn't go to Port-au-Prince. Most of the organizations at the beginning were concentrating on Port-au-Prince. We knew that there would be enough people. So we directly went further. We went to Darbon, which is 15 kilometers, and it took us seven hours to get there. Wow. Because roads are blocked and you don't find even uh, uh, It was gasoline. probably already bad to begin with, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, because the infrastructure in that country is not good. It was difficult to get in. And if I tell you that one liter of, of gasoline, which is, let's say, a quarter of a gal- gallon, cost us $20 at that moment because gas was not there. And then you have to go there. That's difficult. So we went to a place 15 kilometers away, and there was no one helping the people on a medical site and no one for food. They lost 90% of all of their buildings in that region, in the the, uh, Darbonne-Leogan region where we are active. 90% of all buildings were destroyed. So what did Malteser do? You go into a place, no one else is there, 90% of the buildings are gone. What what did Malteser and, and the Order of Malta do there? So what you have to do in this moment is, first of all, you look and concentrate on helping people trying to save lives. First thing is saving lives. So we brought the medical people in. They did search and rescue where they could, together with other people, with the local people who were still there, who knew where there would be people to be looked for, and we could uh, then help people get out and just make them survive. That was the first thing. In parallel, others are organizing logistics, which means they're looking for drinking water, they're looking for food, they're also looking for accommodation for the helper. That's also one of the reasons why we don't send too many people, because you're also an additional logistical problem for the system which had been damaged. Another thing that you have to do is you have to try to find coordination with other organizations. So as quickly as possible, find the the, the authorities, the local authorities, or if they are not like in Haiti, then you look for United Nations. You have to find out where are others that you maybe could ask for help where you do not have sufficient forces. On the other hand, you have to report to the system so that they know here at that place there are so many people, you don't send another one. It's like sending forces on the battleground, but it's a humanitarian area that you are serving. So doing the direct work, organizing the follow-up, and organizing the communication with the authorities. And then another thing that's, not, that's very important is informing the public. Because without the help of the people like in the United States or in Europe, people who are on the, one, on the other end of the chain of help bringing resources on the bridge which ends on the spot in Haiti. You won't make it. So everybody who in the United States has given money for the work of an organization, of the, for the work of the Catholic Church, has contributed to this chain of help. And that's important because we know the weakest link is the problem of the chain. You hear you're talking about Haiti, and in that situation you have, before this tragedy, 
You've already had uh, problems with infrastructure. You already had problems with the government and maybe even the lack of any way to support any kind of major tragedy. Well, what about in a country like Japan where you would think that they would have all these things in place and yet devastation takes place in Japan in, in their earthquake setting? How different kind of an approach did you need for something like that? Well, every reflection in Japan said uh, they don't need our help. Well, it, it's, sometimes it's a problem also of modern media that you see things in real time. And when we saw the tsunami running in, then we knew that there would be a terrible problem and that would be a problem that also for a developed country like Japan... You knew from previous experience the domino theory, right? Yeah. You knew that all these things were going to start happening. What we have is I have a system on my mobile phone which gives me an indication at least within the first 15 minutes after an earthquake. I know that there is something happening. And then they said there might be a tsunami, and I went to the Internet, and I could see the tsunami going into Japan. And then you see that the water is flowing, and you know that people are drowning, that people are dying in that very moment. And then we have experiences, and we knew from the very first moment that we had earthquake, which is already a problem, a big problem, as we saw in Haiti. We saw the tsunami. We knew the results of the tsunami from the last one in 2004. We could add that. And then the third thing, which something uh, in, sometimes in, in Europe, for example, in the media was overestimated, the nuclear problem in Fukushima. Right. They had a triple disaster. And that's too much for a country even like Japan. And we know that disasters in Europe need the help of the neighbors. And I still remember Katrina. Well, also in the United States, help from neighbors was appreciated. I think it's a good sign that especially the Catholic Church knows we are going far beyond borders. We're helping neighbors because they are only victims. They are human beings, and they need our support, our moral one and our material one. And that's what we try to do. Well, thank goodness for organizations like Malteser International. It's obvious that you guys know what you're doing, and you're doing a, a yeoman's job at, uh, at going into these places and taking care of some of the really dirty work, the really hard stuff to do, and, and, and you're helping at a time of great, great need. And you know what? It's easy to see Joyce and Ingo. Both of you are living your faith, and uh, you've actually made a career out of your faith, and that's, that's so beautiful and touching. And, I, and I, I wish more people would have the opportunity to bring... Christ to other people through the things that they do on an everyday basis. And that's your beautiful witness and testimony to that. And we're very thankful for all the work that Malteser International does. And we'll continue to support you with our prayers and with our thoughts. And just as an item of uh, note, if you want to find out more about Malteser International, they have a website. It's Malteser, M-A-L-T-E-S-E-R dash international malteser-international.org they can go there and find out more information there's videos and whatnot there all kinds of information about malteser international so thank you two so much for being here we appreciate you thank you very much thank you so much we're going to close in prayer we're going to ask the blessed mother to uh, to intercede for us in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen amen hail mary full of amen. grace the, the lord, lord is, is with thee blessed, blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb jesus Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. For more information, visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You'll find many links to Catholic resources on the web. You can also listen to previous shows online. 
download MP3s, or take advantage of our podcast feature. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.